Hey, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, um, you're going to be hearing from these, me this morning. I'm not. I'm not the one supposed to be preaching. Andrew Naffin was going to preach this morning, and and he's gotten um, like really ill, and so you get the backup guy. So, um, but uh, you know, before I, I was just thinking about that song. You know, um, there, before I do that, I just want to talk about one thing: is that um, many of you know Tim and Margaret Roberts. Some of you are really, really close to them. And, and you already know this, but I, I just wanted to spend some time to pray for them because Tim Roberts, I guess just about three weeks ago, maybe it was about a month ago, his health started to decline really, really rapidly. And he went on hospice this week and, and they expect him to pass away any time. And I was just thinking about the song. It's the Lord that will see him safely home, safely to the shore. Um, I was telling, I think, Jake this this morning when I started to get, I, I, well, I used to get more emotional, and then I kind of pulled myself together, and apparently I'm, now I'm emotional again. And, and, I, and I'm not going to apologize because it's, it's I, I did apologize, but I'm retracting my apology. <laughs> because these are things that are okay to be sorrowful about. And when we sing about the realities of that Jesus will bring us safely home, safely to shore um, in these moments. For me, I always get choked up because they're so much more real. So could, uh, could, could I get a couple people just to pray for Tim and, and Margaret and their whole family? I think all of their kind of immediate family is up here. Yeah, yeah. Any more, one more? I don't want to cut anybody off. All right, well, why don't the two of you guys just pray, pray, pray loudly so everybody can hear, and then uh, I'll close this and we'll get into our message this morning. Yeah, Father, we just lift up our brother Tim to you and Margaret and their family and just ask that you comfort them and strengthen them and give them peace in this difficult time. Thank you that um, for their just genuine faith and the hope in the gospel that I know grounds them. And I just ask that you would glorify yourself in, in your working with Tim and Margaret in this situation right now. So thank you for all the people that love them so well um, uh, that you've surrounded them with and ask that you would strengthen them and comfort them too. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys for joining with us. The Book of Romans says that we're to weep with those who weep. And so um, it's, 
And when somebody in the body suffers, we all suffer with them. So then I'm sure there'll be more ways to care for them um, in the days to come. And so just be watching that as well. You know, as we, um, the sermon this morning is going to be wrapping up Psalm 23. You know, over the last couple of weeks, uh, Aaron preached two weeks ago and talking about how the beginning verses of Psalm 23, how because of the, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. And then Randy spoke to us last week about this idea that even though like we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. And in this morning, we're going to like look at the end of the psalm. And the end of the psalm, the, the actual metaphor changes, actually, from a shepherd and his sheep to this lavish banquet that's being prepared. And it's a, it's a banquet of victory. You know, and I hope one of the things that you've seen over these last couple of weeks is this, this idea of the Psalm 23 is, it like recounts for us a journey. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, which the sheep follow the shepherd and they lead, he leads me to green pastures and quiet waters. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There's this journey that, be, that begins with following the Lord that sometimes walks us through green pastures, sometimes walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. And what we're going to see this morning, it takes us to this place where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and we will celebrate a feast. He'll prepare a banquet before us. And that's where it, that's where it ends. You know, it's interesting because, uh, and as I was talking to Andrew about his sermon this week, it's interesting because this, this psalm kind of recounts David's life. If you're familiar with, the, with King David who wrote this psalm, um, he began as a shepherd himself and he began just uh, as like a, in a no-name backwoods town. And God like brought him into this place of like fame and notoriety after the, after the killing of Goliath. He, he married the king's daughter. He married a princess. He was part of like the king's like most trusted people. Like he had green pastures. And then suddenly things took a turn for the worse. And he became a fugitive and he was hunted to death. And there was multiple times where he narrowly escaped death as he's being hunted by his father-in-law, the king. And then God brought him through all of that. And, and towards the end of his life, David like desired to build the house of the Lord, build the temple of the Lord for him. And yet the Lord said to him, no, you won't do it, but your son will build a house for me. And just foreshadowing this, this thing that Jesus Christ would do ultimately one day, where he would, he would assemble all of God's people in his household forever. You know, I think this is an important psalm for us too, because it's, it's a journey that we all face. You know, Tim and Margaret are walking it right now. They're walking like Tim's maybe possibly walking the very end of it right now. But sometimes in following the Lord, we have green pastures. Sometimes in following the Lord, we're in these like really dark and difficult times. But there is this hope that anchors our soul that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever if you belong to the Lord, if you're one of his sheep. You know, one of the things that Andrew, one of the observations Andrew made that I thought was just gold was that he said that in these verses and uh, that there's this, there's this gospel logic in these verses. And, and, it's, and you can see it in the Apostle Paul's writings. In the Apostle Paul's writings, most of Paul's letters that he wrote to the churches, there's this first section of the book that's typically about two-thirds of the book that's all these indicatives. There are all these things that are just absolutely true because of who God is and what he's done for us. And then the last third of the book is usually the application of those things. Like, what do we know to be absolutely rock-solid true? 
And then how do we live in light of that? How do we respond to what God has done for us? And, and the same thing is true in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. It's absolutely rock solid true. If you belong to the Lord, so I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. And even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of the death, I will not fear because you are with me. Because of God's presence with his people, because of God's concern for his people, like there's this gospel logic that we don't need to fear no matter what we face. And what we're going to find out here is that the Lord is going to do something else for us, that he's going to prepare a table for us. And he's going to cause us to dwell in his house forever. And that makes all the difference in the world for us. You know, as I don't really have an outline this morning. We're just going to kind of walk through the psalm. But, you know, the simple, like, focus of this psalm is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what we're going to discover is that, is that there's going to be this feast there and God's lavish blessing there, his presence there. And, it, and that should just change our life and change our course and change the way we follow the Lord. So please stand with me. I'd like us to read Psalm 23, and I'm just going to kind of slow down our reading a little bit. So all of you like really smart, fast readers, let's just try to like take a breath just so that we can think about these phrases. We can, we can read it. You can read it with me on the screen. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. And here it is. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your promise to us, and I thank you for the gospel logic that's in that psalm, that because of who you are, we, we shall not want, we shall not fear, and we will dwell in your presence forever. Thank you for calling us to be your sheep, for bringing us into your fold. And I just ask that you would transform us this morning as we meditate on this psalm and, and speak to our hearts and, and um, bring us comfort or challenge or conviction, whatever we need by the power of your spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we get into this psalm... Um, you know, I already, I already commented on how there's this journey. It brings us up to this place. And coming out of the valley of the shadow of death, we have here in Psalm 23 this statement that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, one of the things that David speaks about here is this, this feast that's been prepared by, by, prepared by the Lord for us. And he says, it's, and I'm going to kind of look at some of these things in the, in the reverse order. He says it's in the presence of our enemies. Such an interesting expression. Like, we're having this huge feast, this huge party, and all around us are our enemies. 
You know, in the ancient world, the, the, like the, the kings of old, when they would go conquer somebody, they would do that. They would have a huge feast to celebrate their victory, and they would make all the conquered people kind of be there, A, to like see that the fact that they were conquered, and B, kind of as like, like trophies as evidence that like, yeah, we conquered all of these other people. It's a victory feast. It's a victory over all of the enemies that we face. Because that's what David says. You prepare, you prepare a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about it for that for a second. We know, we know who David's enemies are. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, he had King Saul was his enemy, you know, for a while. He was his father-in-law after all. Um, <laughs> just a joke. I love my son-in-laws. King Saul was his enemy, like his own self was his enemy. Like he has this tragic, like part of his story where he like falls into adultery and he murders the woman's husband and he lies about it and he, right? Like, and all sorts of consequence came from that. He had enemies within, he had enemies without. But there will be this day when there will be this victory feast where we celebrate our victory over our enemies. So I just want to take just a moment for you guys to self-reflect for a second. Like, what are the enemies that you guys face today in this world as you try to follow the Lord as your shepherd? You know, the scriptures talk about it in three different ways. They talk about our our enemies as as being the world and the flesh and the devil. Like, the enemy of the world is the world system that just is always pressing against us and trying to, like, divert us from following the Lord. I mean, you can feel that everywhere. And it just makes it feel like following the Lord is always like swimming upstream. And if you just stop, you just get swept away. You guys know what I'm talking about? And there's just these pressures from around us. It talks about the, our flesh is one of our enemies. There's pressures from within us where there's this part of us that still is unredeemed, that wages war with the spirit of God that lives inside of us. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free from the body of this death, right? And he's like, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no condemnation. You know, but these enemies within, you know, for a lot of us, it, it might be like addictions we have. It might be these sins that just nag us. It might be like anxiety or depression or... Anybody else want to volunteer one? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know what it is to struggle with those. Like, you guys know, like, I struggle with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. I've, like, walked in those places. Like, and they just feel like, man, is this ever going to stop? Like, it just feels like it just dogs you all the time, right? Or you just beat yourself up over and over because you just, like, Paul, like, wretched man that I am. The things that I do, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. But one day, the psalmist is saying, is that there will be this feast we have in the presence of our enemies where we celebrate our victory over those things. But it's interesting what he says. He says that, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's not our victory. Like, we don't achieve that victory on our own. It's the victory of the Lord. It's the Lord that prepares that for us. the Lord that's done it for us. It's the shepherd that has walked and brought us there and seen us safely to shore. You know, the, like, like, I don't even know where to go here. I told Jen this is going to be like the Super Bowl of slides because I'm going to be just jumping all, (laughs) jumping all over. But we get surrounded by enemies 
that are clear and present and dangerous and seem like they're always nagging at our heels. And yet one day the Lord will bring us to that feast where we get to celebrate over them. Martin Luther wrote about that in, in uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Like one of the verses is this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Stop there for a second. Like, do you, do you guys feel that ever? And I feel like the devils of this world, whether, he's, whether Martin Luther is speaking about like the literal demonic forces, the devil that's the third enemy, or he's just speaking about all those devilish things that are around us and within us that should threaten to undo us. They're in our face. They're nipping at our heels. They're like nagging after us. We will not fear for God. I, I had a typo this morning. God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Like though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> there it is. That's Tom Brady right there at the slides. So. <laughs> we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. I think the first verse, I've got it up there. Let's use it, Jen. Um, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, which is a funny word. It means the Lord of armies. Sabaoth means armies. Or like if you ever read in your Bible, Lord of hosts, it's not like the Lord of like the person that seats you at the restaurant. It's, <laughs> it's the Lord of the armies of heaven. The Lord of the armies of heaven, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle, right? Like, it's the Lord himself who prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies, and he will, like, cause us to, like, arrive there and celebrate there, and one day we will experience that victory. That's what David's saying. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's such a remarkable thing when we think about it. That, that the, the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and the world and the, and the devil himself becomes my victory when I belong to him. Like the, the, the New Testament speaks all over and over again about us being in Christ. Like when we're found in Christ, like all of Christ's righteousness and Christ's victory, and it becomes our own. And this story that began at the garden you know, where, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and all of the curse of this world be, fell upon us. The story that began at the garden, there was this promise to Eve, remember, that one of your descendants, your seed, will be bruised on the heel by the serpent. And the, I guess, and the, and the, and the serpent's head will be crushed. You guys, are you guys familiar with that story from Genesis? There's this, they call it the proto-gospel, the very beginning like seeds of the gospel that one day one of the descendants of the woman will come and even though he's wounded by the devil himself, like he'll get like curb stomped by the Lord. Is that okay to say in church? Curb stomped? <laughs> Eric's, Eric's even telling me it's like marginal. I'm way over the edge, people. So... <laughs> But like it doesn't end there. There's a, this amazing thing at the end of the book of Romans when it talks about us vicariously like experiencing Christ's victory. In Romans chapter 16, I think it's verse 13, it's verse 20. It's in verse 20. 
the God of peace. Now, this is, the, like, this is how Paul is ending his book in Romans. There's a few verses after this, but this is kind of as he's concluding his book. This book that talks about God's grace to us and develops the gospel and, and how we are saved by, like, completely by his grace. And he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. One day, like all of those things that have plagued you, all of those things that have like beset you, all of those things that, that have like brought you down and, and that you just grieve over and just wish they would end, they will. And one day, you'll be able to crush Satan under your feet because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Like his victory becomes your victory. And it's absolutely certain. Remember what Martin Luther says? Like, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Like, we're going to arrive there one day as God's sheep. In fact, Jesus himself said that what we ended a few weeks ago in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Listen to what it says. Jesus is speaking to, his, to, the, to the crowds and he says, my sheep hear my voice. He's talking about himself as a shepherd and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will what? Never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And if you're a child of God this morning, and you're feeling like this world is going to undo you, let me just encourage you to like continue to follow the shepherd. Follow him, whether it's through that valley of the shadow of death, whether it's in the green pastures, keep your eyes focused on him because his sheep hear his voice and they follow him and they get eternal life and no one will snatch them out of his hand. And no one will snatch him out of the Father's hand. And then Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Like, yeah, guess what? We are the same. All of God's omnipotent, sovereign power has got a hold of you. And he will bring you safely home. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And like, listen to the table, the description of the table. He says, uh, um, back in Psalm 23, verse, verse 5 again, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Like that, that expression of anointing with oil, there's, there's a whole bunch of like possible imagery there. But for, one of the things that we know for sure is it's this lavish kind of bestowal of like blessing on somebody. Like that, that if you were like, a, like coming to feast in someone's home and they anointed you with like this fragrant oil and perfume, it's like this symbol of like, there is nothing that's too good for you that I won't pour out upon you. It also has these allusions even to like, like royalty, that, that the kings of Israel were anointed by oil. David himself was anointed by oil. In fact, we as God's people are said to what? We will reign with him. We're like brought into his, we're brought into his dominion and, and invited to like share in that with him. It is this banquet of blessing and, and, and lavish provision. Look what it says, my cup overflows. You know, uh, uh, several weeks ago when Tomash was here, you know, he talked about the pessimist with the glass half full and the optimist with the glass half empty, or the other way around, I guess. 
And then the Czech person with somebody peed in the cup. Remember that joke? Um, he'll be proud that I used it again. Um, this isn't like that at all. This is, you've got the best wine, and, and the host is pouring it, and it is just overflowing. It is never ending. It is lavish provision. Like the feast that God has planned for us is one that will satisfy us at our deepest level. You prepare a table before me in the presence of enemies. My cup overflows. Our, we will be fully satisfied. We will be, there will be no end to God's blessing. There will never be any more curse. That's where we're headed. And in verse 6, let's listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, I don't want you to think, when I, when I talked about, like, the, the indicatives and the imperatives, those things that we absolutely know to be true, and then what it means for us in the end, I don't want you to think that, like, coming to faith in Jesus Christ only guarantees for you something at the end, right? A lot of people think that way, like, oh, I, I came to faith, you know, in Jesus Christ, and now I just have to white-knuckle it until the end, because finally, when I, like, like die, I, I know I'll go to heaven one day, right? You guys kind of experience Christianity like that? Yes? No? That's not the message of the Bible. In fact, that's not the message of Psalm 23. Even though he's talking about the certainty with which we'll be before the Lord and feast one day, it's not like this simply judicial thing that's going to happen when we die. It's an active, dynamic thing that we experience today because listen to what he says. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me, what? All of the days of my life. If you're a believer this morning, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, like his goodness is upon you. Like all those things that he has for you. In fact, in Psalm 30, I don't think this is on this screen. Um, Psalm 3410, like the psalmist says this, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. That's how the psalm started, right? That those who follow the Lord shall not want. Aaron talked about this. Like that doesn't mean that every single desire of ours is like going to be satisfied. But what it means is those things that we really need, what, what we really need to experience like life from God is going to be provided for us without like hesitation from the Lord. His goodness will follow us. And then it says his loving kindness will follow us. That word loving kindness is the word said in the Old Testament, which, which speaks to his like covenant faithful love. It's the love that he's sworn to give to the people of Israel and and Andrew had this great, like, ex this great definition ever from the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you can communicate things to kids, you probably know how to communicate them. And here it is. Here's the definition of God's, like, mercy. Like, I think a lot of your translations say mercy. And, and it's, the, it's this word sometimes translated loving kindness, sometimes translated steadfast love. But this is the definition from the Jesus Storybook Bible. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Do you guys hear that? Just like let that rest on you for a second. God loves his people with never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And, and what does the psalmist say? Like that kind of love will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow there isn't, 
isn't translated very well. It actually means to pursue or hunt or chase after. Like God is pursuing you every day of your life with his never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love because of who you are in Jesus Christ. His never stopping, never giving up, always and forever giving love is always in pursuit of you. So even though you're surrounded by your enemies, you can be confident that God's love is on the chase. In fact, he doesn't just pursue us with that kind of love. Back in Exodus chapter 15, there it is. Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. This is the song of Moses and the song of the people of Israel after they'd gone through the Red Sea. If you're not familiar with the story, the people of Israel were saved out of slavery in Egypt and they were pursued by Pharaoh's armies to the, to the shores of the Red Sea. And then they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And then God opens the Red Sea. They pass through the Red Sea. They come out the other side. Pharaoh's armies pursue them into the sea. They get drowned in the ocean and God's people are forever set free from slavery in Egypt. And this song says, in the song, they say this, you have led in your steadfast love. That's the same expression. Steadfast love is the same word that was translated mercy. You have led in your never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. God's always and forever, never giving up. And what else? I can't remember what the other one was. Love leads us. It pursues us. It surrounds us. God's before us. He's behind us. He's never going to leave us. Surely goodness and God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love will be with us all the days of our life. And here it is. So what? So I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, it's just looking, this is looking ahead to this, this eternal like state of like all the days of my life. And then when God finally brings me safely to shore, like I will be in his like house in his temple. The idea there isn't like temple in the sense of like worship and singing and sacrificing. It's the idea of God's presence because God's presence dealt like dwelt in the temple. At least it was the Bible it was reading and not some like, <laughs> not some weird Kindle book, you know, so that would be embarrassing. I have a hard enough time staying focused and then like <laughs> people throw, throw these things at me. Because God's goodness and never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love are in pursuit of me and in leading me and surrounding me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's this idea that we will finally be able to re-enter God's presence. All of those things that we lost in Eden when, when the first man and first woman were able to just walk in the, in the cool of the day with the Lord, like perfect provision and perfect like fellowship with each other and perfect fellowship with God, all of those things will be restored. You know, and a lot of people have this like pretty jacked up view of what heaven is like. 
you know, and it's this thing that's all over the media, you know, it's in like memes and cartoons, like where, like when you go to heaven, you're like wearing this diaper with like this like harp thing and you're up there in the clouds and like there's this gate that doesn't seem to go anywhere just to the other side of the cloud. And, and like you get this, even we sing, like we sing songs that even kind of communicate this idea that, that heaven's just going to be us singing songs all the time. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm wearing diapers apparently. So... <laughs> That's a really unhelpful view of like the eternal state and it's not even even close to the Bible. The Bible talks about the eternal state like the, as, as the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, in which there's no more curse. It speaks about our, the eternal state as being physical and being created where we'll be in like redeemed bodies, where we'll be able to enjoy like God's new creation like Adam and Eve did in the beginning that's filled with like trees of life. It's filled with like people. It's filled with, and, and I think Randy, I think it was you and I were talking about this, like the, the promise to the son of David, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was that his kingdom would always increase. Like we would be able to be a part of expanding like the goodness and blessing of his rule over the like universe, like Adam and Eve did over the earth. What it talks about is like, that's not something different, um, like, like, like completely different than what we experience today. It's like what we experience today is just a pale shadow of what's to come. So like the best celebrations you've ever had, where you've just been able to celebrate God's goodness, celebrate like what he's done for you, like feasted with your friends and your family. Like the greatest celebrations you've ever had in this life are a pale shadow compared to the one that's going to come. Or if you think about those like deep relationships you've had, like that you've like these friends or your spouse or or that that where you've just had this deep and like fellowship and intimate relationship, and that's a pale shadow of what's to come. Or those times that you've had with the Lord, whether it's in in corporate worship here or maybe worshiping him in his word or just being out in his good creation that moves your heart to worship him. And like the deepest, most heart like felt worship that you've ever experienced with the Lord is a pale shadow of what's to come. Because this entire world is corrupted by the curse. Every part of us is touched by it. We're impacted relationally. We're impacted like spiritually in our relationship with God. We're impacted in our, in our relationship with this world and it's all broken. So the eternal state isn't like sitting up in a cloud. It is, it is the best thing that we've ever experienced to like the, I don't even know, quintillionth, that's the biggest word I know. <laughs> Exponent, right? I heard, I heard one Bible teacher uh, describe it as the never-ending first moment, which is an interesting description. And let me, like, he talks about, like, if you go up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look out at all of its, like, like awesomeness, there's this quick moment where it's, like, you're just kind of taken aback by its, like, awesomeness. You guys know, you know what I'm talking about? Or first time I saw Crater Lake, it was just, like, this gem of, like, blue water in the sky. Like, there's this moment of just, like, awe and kind of the surreal experience of like, wow, this is like completely other. That first moment quickly fades though, doesn't it? You're just corrupted by this world where all of a sudden it becomes commonplace. You know, you live up in the Rocky Mountains and the first time you go up there, you're like, man, this is beautiful. And then you're like, you know, six months later, you're like, why do I have to shovel snow all the time, right? Like, 
but he describes the eternal state as like the never ending first moment where it will never fade. In fact, I think what the scriptures would teach is that it would always increase as we experience like perfect fellowship with the Lord and, and perfect purpose being played out in the new heavens and the earth, new earth, perfect relationship with each other, completely untainted by sin. Psalmist is telling us like, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll be forever in his presence. I'll be forever experiencing like what he intended us to experience as, we, as he brings us safely through. You know, there's a couple points of application I just think I want to make. You know, first of all, like, if you're here and you've never genuinely placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never, like, kind of finally surrendered your will to him, stop trying to, like, make it as a sheep all on your own, stop trying to go your own way, if you've never just, like, submitted to him, and placed your faith upon him and realized that it was his work and his work alone that, transfer, that, that can deliver you. And I just want to encourage you to do that now because there is great things in following the Lord. But ultimately, it's this rock-solid assurance and confidence that no matter what comes your way, whether it's green pastures or dark valleys, like he will see you safely through and not because of your own righteousness, but because of his. Because Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. He did all the things we couldn't do. He died in your place. Peter says that, that the certificate of debt that was written against you, all of those things, that the list that always condemns you, like every time you start to think like, oh, I'm doing okay, this list comes up, like, well, apparently not, because look at number one through 6,000. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's been nailed to the cross. And it's been taken away in him because he took it all for you. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, called upon him as Lord, come to him as your shepherd and as your savior and as your king. I just want to challenge you to do, it, to do that now because there is nothing else. If you just wander in this world on your own, away from the shepherd, there is wolves and dangers and Ultimately, there's just death with no hope. But with him, we will dwell. With him in his presence, with all of his blessings, in his house forever. You know, for, for those of us that are his sheep, that do follow him, I think we need to just keep reminding ourselves that life is found in following the shepherd means today, right now, today. I think you need to take stock of whatever in your heart that keeps you from like following him, from being devoted to him, from staying close to him, and repent of those things. Because they're just false like gods. They're just false hopes. They're just false idols. They're never going to like deliver what you think they're going to deliver. And they're just going to keep you leading, leading you further and further away. But the promises in Jesus Christ, this gospel logic that's in this passage, are just so rich and so deep and so true. Why would we go anywhere else? You know, I'm going to call the, the youth worship team up here again to close us. And we're going to actually close in, in communion um, this morning because 
What a better like Sunday to, to celebrate this meal. Because the meal that, that Jesus had with his disciples, this meal of, of where he, he offered himself up, this remembrance of his broken body and his shed blood so that we can one day feast with him. Like points us towards that feast that one day we will have and we will celebrate with him. In fact, Isaiah 25, Isaiah 25 is this great passage and listen to what, is, what Isaiah says. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall, like heat in a dry place. He's like, you, O Lord, are our shepherd. You're the one who is a stronghold. You're the one that's going to protect me from the storm and from the heat. You subdue the noise of the foreigners. That's like my enemies as the heat by the shade of the cloud that the song of the ruthless has put down. Like Jesus is the one who's going to cause us to dine. Because listen to the next verse. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. There will be a day that this feast that we celebrate this morning points us towards where Jesus has taken away our reproach, where Jesus has taken away our guilt, where Jesus has taken away our sin, and that we can take of this and we can proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. We can remind ourselves that one day there'll be this day when he'll swallow up death forever. And our reproach he will take away. Think about that. The reproach is that list against you. He will take away. Why? Because he promised it to be true. He has spoken. So as they play, come forward and get the, the bread and the cup. Go back to your seats and then we'll, we'll participate together. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, like come forward and take the bread and the cup and drink deeply of God's grace and just like yield your life to him in faith and experience like, like this eternal life that Jesus promised.